0: You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on December 23rd, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months And returned to her home the word of the Lord thanks be to God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Amen. please be seated well cousins how many of you remember playing with your cousins as a child I certainly do And how many of you remember as parents watching your children play with their cousins? There is a great joy in that. We had the the blessing of having my brother and his family with his two young children uh, come to visit us a couple weeks ago. I know some of you got to meet them when they were here. And it was so wonderful to see our kids and their kids playing together for the first time really since we've moved down here. It's been more than a year and a half now. We hadn't seen them in such a long time and so to get the cousins back together, to get them playing with one another, was truly a joy to behold. And Joseph and Eli, uh, our Joseph, their Eli, are about the same age. They were born within just a couple of months of each other. So Carrie and my sister-in-law were pregnant at the same time Uh, and that's an experience we've had a couple times with with both my sister-in-law and also with Carrie's sister. To have both of them pregnant at the same time, and to be thinking forward about what these cousins will be like as they're playing together when they get older. And that's a little bit of the experience we see between Mary and Elizabeth today, as Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. They're both pregnant. They're we don't exactly know what their relation is, they're not sisters. Elizabeth was quite a few years older than Mary, um, but they were relations of some sort. They were kinswomen. And so we see these two kinswomen meeting together, both pregnant, both expecting children, and wondering about what the future of these children will be like together. And the Lord speaks to each of them, both through angels and through the Holy Spirit, of the pregnancy of the other before they've even met with one another, before they even have spoken with one another and know uh, just from speaking that the other is pregnant. God speaks to each of them because these aren't just any babies. These are special babies. These are babies who were born to do very specific things. John the Baptist, of course, is Elizabeth's child. And John the Baptist was to grow up to point the way to the Lord. We've been talking about him a lot during the season of Advent, and this is really his time of year as we we think about John the Baptist. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. As we prepare in the season of Advent to receive Christ at Christmas, these are the words that we think about. And so John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And Jesus later says of John the Baptist, of all the men born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty high statement to make about someone. And John the Baptist was a prophet, so that puts him on the level of people like Elijah and Moses. He has a great importance in salvation history. Why? Because of his proximity to Jesus. He is the one that comes just before Jesus comes. Literally like six months before Jesus comes. And as they grow up, they probably grow up somewhat separately, but John recognizes Jesus and we'll talk about this in just a few weeks at the baptism of of Jesus by John in the Jordan River. And they have this history together, this meeting together. And John immediately steps down, steps away, and points to Jesus and says, this is the one you should follow. And so we have Jesus, who is the one of great importance, and John the Baptist, who is content to be the one who points to the way, to the one of great importance. And we see this play out in their mothers as well, in our gospel today. Elizabeth was a woman who had trouble having children. And she had grown to an old age without ever having children. This reminds us of the story of, of lots of women in the Old Testament, but probably chiefly of Sarah, who was 90 years old when she finally conceived and had Isaac. And so Elizabeth is an old woman, and she has this child that she's now pregnant with. And she was perhaps nervous about uh, maybe even losing the child because she waits six months, no, five months before telling anybody about this baby. And so when Mary comes and shows up at her doorstep, it's only been less than a month since she announced to everyone that she was having a baby. And so you can think about what might have gone through her head. You can think about how there might have been you know, some jealousy in Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth had waited so many years to have this child. This was her moment for joy. This was her moment to shine. This was her moment to have a baby when so many of her other other friends had had babies all along the way. She was the one who hadn't had a baby. And this was her moment. And now her young cousin Elizabeth comes with child. And Elizabeth knows that the child that is in Mary is to be greater than the child in her womb. So in our natural humanness, we might put ourselves in those shoes and and think, well, she might have been jealous. But the remarkable thing about this story is that there's no hint of jealousy in Elizabeth's words, in Elizabeth's greeting. It's all joy. The Holy Spirit comes upon her. She knows immediately that Mary's pregnant, and she knows immediately that the child that she's pregnant with is the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was to come. And she has joy for Mary, just as she continues to have joy for her own child. Elizabeth certainly could have been jealous. She could have been jealous at Mary stealing her thunder. She could have been jealous that Mary was chosen to bear the Son of God, whereas she was chosen to be the mother of the forerunner to Jesus. But instead of jealousy, we see this joy. Elizabeth was overjoyed to be a mother. And she was content with her circumstances. And that allowed her to have joy for Mary as well. Because joy isn't a quantifiable thing. Joy isn't something that, you know, if you, if you spend out too much joy, you, you lose it. Because, you know, you've run out of joy. Joy is something actually that bubbles over and overflows. And so when we have joy for others, it actually brings joy for ourselves as well. especially when we refrain from jealousy at the blessings of others. When we have joy for others in their their blessings, we can have even more joy for ourselves in our own blessings. But now let's turn to Mary. Now, for Mary, I don't think jealousy would have been the temptation, but perhaps pride might have been. But equally remarkable about this story is that there's no hint of pride in Mary's words as she sings this great song, the Magnificat. You can imagine the range of emotions that Mary must have felt being chosen to be the mother of the Lord. Think about what it must have been like when Gabriel comes to her and and tells her this wonderful news that she's going to have this child. You can think of a lot of emotions. You can think of some fear perhaps she was young. Was she ready to be a mother? Maybe even more fear over the fact that she was unmarried and engaged to Joseph. So what would Joseph think that now that she's she's pregnant. She knows how she got pregnant it was the holy spirit but Joseph doesn't know how she got pregnant. What's Joseph going to think? What are the people in town going to think? Will they stone her? That's what they tried to do to the woman caught in adultery later when Jesus greets her in in his ministry. Would they stone Mary for being pregnant without being married? And she was probably poor. How is she going to take care of this child? What if Joseph decided to leave her and she was on her own with a child? How would she take care of herself and this child? But despite her circumstances... Despite all of this, I could see more than anything else the temptation to pride. This angel appears to her. After she gets over the fear factor, he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. This shining man with lots of light all around him, you can, you can imagine that that might be a scary experience, but after she gets over that, he calls her a highly favored one and tells her that she is going to be the one that God has chosen to bear his son. That's a pretty amazing calling to to have. And so you could see her getting puffed up about that. God chose me for this? That's amazing. I wonder why He chose me. Well, it must be because I'm so great. But in fact, when Gabriel comes, he says, Hail Mary full of grace or highly favored one. It's God who's looked on favor, look with her, looked on her with favor. It's not because of what she's done. It's because of what God has done in her. And in fact, that's true for all of us as well. Whatever accomplishments we've achieved, whatever good things have come to us in life, you might be able to see some element of of hard work in your life. But overall, it's the Lord who's blessed you with those things, and it's the Lord who's given you the talents to achieve them. It's the Lord who's the giver of all good things. And so pride isn't the place that we go, but gratitude, thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for us. And that's where Mary goes, too. She doesn't go to the place of pride. She goes to the place of humility and gratitude. She says at Gabriel's greeting, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She humbly accepts this gift that God wants to give her. And she calls herself a servant. The Greek word here is doule, which literally means servant or slave. Sometimes you hear it translated as handmaiden. It's the same idea. It's a servant or a slave. She puts herself into a lowly place. She knows where she is with respect to God. She is God's servant. And that's who we should be too, as we follow her example. When we put ourselves in this place, we have a proper orientation towards God. And it's just as Jesus says a little later in this same gospel in chapter 14. He talks about what it's like when you go to a banquet and you see all of the the places. And in in this time and this age, The seating at a banquet was very important. Sometimes it is in our own day, but it was even more important in Jesus' day. And so he's talking about what you should do when you go to the banquet. Where should you sit down? And he says, even though you might be tempted to go to the highest place, don't go there because you might be asked to go sit lower and then you'll be embarrassed. But this is what Jesus says. He says... But when you're invited go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes he may say to you friend move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted we want at all times to humble ourselves before the lord to recognize his blessings and to be thankful for them but not prideful in them. Because it's not we who create the blessings. It's God who creates the blessings. So why does God choose a humble, poor, unmarried woman to be the mother of his son, Jesus? You would think, you know, being God, he'd want his son to go to a place that was fitting for a king. Maybe he could be born into Herod's palace. Or maybe he could be born into one of the Gentile palaces. Those might have been even more glorious. But no, God chooses for his son to be born to a poor woman who happened to be traveling at the time to a far-off city where there was no room in an inn, and so he was born and placed in a manger where the cattle feed out of a trough. That was the beginning for Jesus, the Son of God. And I think it's because God wanted to identify with the poor. Because the poor are people who know that they need him. And so Mary continues this theme of humility with her song, the Magnificat. She doesn't proclaim her own greatness, but instead she proclaims the greatness of the Lord, as some translations put those first lines. Or in other translations it says she magnifies the Lord, which means to glorify, to exalt, to lift up. Mary's pointing to the way, pointing the way to God. And she praises God because he has looked on her humble estate and has done great things for her, as we see in verses 48 and 49. And then she turns outward and she recognizes the significance of this, not just for her, but for all people. And so in verse 51... as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. God scatters the proud. He puts the rich into a lowly place. And he lifts up the humble. And he lifts up the poor. When we're proud in our own strength and ability, we leave no room to God to work in our lives and to demonstrate his power. But when we're humble... When we recognize his power, we allow his power to shine through us. We've been talking about this a lot in our Bible study on 2 Corinthians, which we just brought to an end last Wednesday. And in chapter 12, we see uh, this this ailment that Paul has had. He calls it a, a thorn in his flesh, that he has been praying to the Lord for a long time, that the Lord would take it away from him. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. And this is what God says when when Paul asks him to take it away. He says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul continues and he says, therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. And this brings us lots of hope. Because when we strive in our own strength, our own striving has its limits. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much weight you can lift above your head. But when we humble ourselves... When we let God's power shine through us, then we have access to all the power that God has. And God can lift any weight far higher than we can lift it. God can provide far greater than we can ever provide. God can accomplish far more than any of us on our own strength can accomplish. And so when we try and do it in our own strength, we're limited by ourselves. But when we humble ourselves, when we allow ourselves to be weak so that God can be strong, then God shines forth with his glory, with his power, with his strength, with his provision. And remarkable things begin to happen. And so this brings us to belief. Elizabeth says earlier in this, uh, in this same chapter that we just read, when she greets Mary, she says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God always keeps his promises. God doesn't always do what we tell him to do because God isn't a tame God. Or in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the figure of God the lion, is not a tame lion. So God isn't a a genie in a magic bottle. We don't rub our, our bottle and the genie comes out and grants wishes. That's not who God is. God is the one who directs. God is the one who says which way to go. But when we listen to God, when we listen to what he wants to do, when we pray for the things that God wants to accomplish, then God accomplishes those things mightily. God told Mary through Gabriel that she would bear God's son, she a virgin who had no husband. She was going to have a baby and the baby would be God's own baby. Now, how many of you women, if an angel appeared to you and told you that would, you know, you know, does that make sense? Is that something that's going to happen? It might require a little bit of belief for that to, to, to take root in your heart, right? It might take some suspending of disbelief for that to happen, right? And sometimes God is going to tell us some pretty wild things that he wants to accomplish, maybe even through us. And so when you think about that and you think about your own strength and you think, well, there's no way I could ever accomplish that. We can quench the spirit of God. But when God tells us he wants to do great things through us and we believe him and we put our trust in him, we have faith in him. We see wonderful, amazing things happen. Gabriel doesn't force Mary to become the mother of our Lord. But she says, be it unto me according to your word. And that's how we should treat the things that God brings to us. Now, we can say no to God. We can say no to God. And when we do that, we'd say no to the blessings that God has for us. God will still accomplish his purposes, but he might accomplish them through someone else. But God has blessings that he wants to make happen through you. And when we listen to what those are, when we have faith in God, when we believe what he has said, we get to participate. We get to have a front row seat in what God is doing in his world. And so even when, maybe even especially when, it seems like the great things that he promises are impossible, we need to remember, as Gabriel said, that all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. There are no limits with God. There's only limits with us. So what are the impossible barriers in your life right now? What are the impossible barriers in this church right now? Where do you need to see the power, the salvation, the healing, or the provision of God in your life? Quiet yourself before the Lord. Listen for his voice and then believe what he tells you, remembering that nothing is impossible with God. Let us pray. Lord, you are mighty, you are powerful, and you have accomplished some amazing things throughout the years that you've created this world. We thank you for the examples of your power that you give to us in the scriptures. We thank you for the examples of your power that you've demonstrated in our own lives. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice in our weakness. Lord, we pray that you would take away any anxiety that we fear over appearing weak before others. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be comfortable and content in our weakness. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring to fruition those things that you desire to do in each of our lives. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust you. Help us in our unbelief. For you are great, and you are good, and you love us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this season as we prepare to remember his incarnation, how he took on flesh to save us. Help us to humble ourselves before you so that you may lift us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.